open up to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 14 this morning. And I want to start with a story I came across of a, a very interesting person this week. I had never heard of this person. It's a true story, a real person. Uh, his name is Clive Waring. He is 84 years old, roughly right now, and he lives in England. He's married to a woman named Deborah. He was a classical musician, one of the world's foremost authorities on this very obscure Renaissance composer that I had never heard of. He was a uh, someone that worked for the BBC, the British Broadcasting Company, overseeing some of their classical music programs, by all accounts, very successful in his life, high up in his field. And then in 1985, he contracted a virus, a virus that was really no big deal, except for him, it migrated to his brain and did incredible damage there. Specifically, he developed amnesia. What's known as retrograde amnesia. You might be familiar with this. It's kind of the, the typical amnesia we see in movies or on TV where you, from the point of, of whatever happened, the trauma, the infection, you, you forget what comes before. That's retrograde. You forget everything in your past. What makes Clive so unique, though, is that that's not the only amnesia he developed. He is, as far as they can tell, the only person in history to have added to that a second type of amnesia, which is, and I want to get this correct, he developed what's called anterograde amnesia. Retrograde is you forget everything in the past. Anterograde is you cannot make new memories. Clive lives in an ever-present now with no memory of what happened before and no hope to remember what he's going through right now. His, life, his wife wrote in a memoir and described what it's like for Clive. She states this, his ability to perceive what he saw and heard was unimpaired, but he did not seem to be able to retain any impression of anything for more than a blink. Indeed, if he did blink, his eyelids parted to reveal a new scene. The view before the blink was utterly forgotten. Each blink, each glance away and back brought him an entirely new view. Now, his memory works to some degree in some strange ways. Uh, he has no memory of his wife. If you sit with Clive, as I saw an interview do, and talk to him, he has absolutely no memory of his wife, who she is, or even being married. I'm not even sure he understands the concept of marriage itself. And yet, when she walks in the room, his eyes light up and he runs to her and embraces her and knows, this is my wife. The interviewer sat with Clive in his, his living room and, and asked him if he liked coffee. And, and Clive said, I don't know. I've never had it. He said, well, well, do you know how to make coffee? Do you know in your kitchen how you would make coffee? No, I don't know. I don't think we have anything for that. And yet, Clive could walk in the kitchen and make a perfect cup of coffee. So he remembers some things in a unique way. Now, you might be tempted in a way to think this might be very freeing. No, no consequences of the past, no fear for the future, just live for the present, right? Isn't that the mantra of our world today? Just live for the present. Here's Clive, the epitome of living for the present. And in some ways, he often seems very happy. He jokes constantly. 
Literally, constantly, he is making jokes. It's kind of a coping mechanism for him. And he tends to make the same jokes over and over and over and over again because he doesn't remember. He just sort of babbles at times. And yet, Clive struggles deeply with one very unique particular problem. Clive struggles to accept the reality that he is alive. Because moment by moment, he feels that he should remember something. He feels like there should be some definition, some experience to who he is. And it's just a blank. He talks about feeling like he has just woken up or come back from the dead. He says, I have never heard anything. I've never seen anything. I've never touched anything. I've never smelled anything. He said, it's like I was dead. And each moment, he's trying to hold on to the truth that he's alive. Clive kept a journal many, many years. The journal was filled over and over and over again with the phrase, at this time, at this date, at this moment, I am alive. I am perfectly, absolutely aware, and I am alive. He wanted future him to have something to look back to, to say, I know at this point, I, at this point, I exist. Most of those entries have been crossed out because future Clive reads them and says, I don't believe it. I could not possibly have existed in that moment. Can you imagine living this way? Clive had no choice. He he didn't choose this. There was nothing he could have done to avoid it. There's no solution for it. But here's why I want to bring this up today. I believe our world today is choosing to have that very sort of amnesia. We are choosing to forget everything in the past, We are choosing to not form new memories and learn anything new. We are trying to live in an ever-present now and find our happiness here. And people are struggling. I want to be careful. I'm not saying... I'm not saying we forget the good old days of the past. That's not what I'm saying. We need to go way back before the so-called good old days. We need to go all the way back to the garden. We need to go all the way back to when God called Adam and Eve into existence. All the way back to where we find our purpose and meaning in this world. We need to remember. We need to remember who we are. We are here for God's purposes, God's glory. And the world has forgotten this. Chosen purposefully to forget this. And frankly, Christians are not immune. We accept Jesus and we're so on fire and we hear the gospel and we hold on to it and it's true. Right now in this moment, it is true. But then later it's like we want something more. Something better for now. We look back and say, well, I don't know that I really accept that that was true then. I need something now. I'm looking for something new. I think of the famous YouTube song by the band U2. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. He had come to know Jesus as his Savior, he thought, and yet he writes this song, this is all great and I believe it, but I'm looking for something more. People today, many Christians, looking for other things that will satisfy, accepting lesser substitutes, and some are deconstructing their faith. Forgetting. Which brings us to the book of Colossians. I called this series Watershed because I want to emphasize Jesus changes everything. 
And if we need to know, if we want to know who we truly are, what it means to be human, why we exist, what our purpose is in this world, we've got to look to Jesus and nothing else. He is the watershed that changes the course of our life and our history. Last week, we flew through the book of Colossians, looking at how they were searching for other things in their culture, grabbing onto things that would give them purpose and meaning. And Paul constantly grabs their attention and pulls it back to Jesus Christ. So today, we're looking at verses 9 through 14, where we have one of Paul's prayers in his letters. Paul is praying for these Colossian believers, these people he's never met. And when you see Paul pray for something, you need to understand that he thought that this was so important that he wanted to pray for them and he wants them to know that he is praying for them in this way. And the first thing that we see is how important it was for him to pray for them. And we learn that we need to pray for each other as well and we need to pray the way that Paul prays. Praise. So often at church, we share prayer requests, and it's good. I mean, people talk about struggling with this, and I have this visit to the doctor, and my neighbor, and this, and I I get it, and that's good, and we need to pray for one another. It's good. But I want you to look at what Paul prays for. Let me read the passage. You can follow along. Let me read 9 to 14. It's not very long. And listen to what he's praying for. For this reason, we'll look at that in a second, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving thanks And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's a prayer. And I read something like that and I think if we as believers would pray this way for one another... What a depth we would have in our friendship and our fellowship and our relationships with each other. There's meat in this prayer. And I want to look at that meat. I want to look at what he's calling them to. He starts off for this reason. So we have to go back to three through eight. We dealt with that last week, but let's just look at it briefly. Paul's heard about the Colossian church. In verse 4, it talks about, he's heard about their faith in Jesus. They've accepted the gospel, the good news that Jesus is the Son of God who died in the cross or on the cross in their place to save them. They have real faith. He learns in 4 to 5 that they have this love for each other and all God's people. The gospel has made a difference. Verses 5 and 6, they received and accepted the true gospel that's now spreading throughout the world. They accepted Jesus. So real church, real Christians. And he's saying, hey, I've heard about you. This is great. But then throughout the rest of the letter, we also see they're struggling with something. They're forgetting who they are. They're forgetting how they started. They're forgetting the gospel and that they had accepted and trusted in Christ and Christ alone. And they now are trying to add to it. They're looking for something better and new and deeper. The gospel is no longer enough for them. 
In later chapters, Paul's going to talk about being careful not to get caught up in the ideas and philosophy of their world. And he challenged them, challenges them also, be careful not to just chase, chase after shallow religious practices that have no meaning. His whole point in this letter is to remind them who they are in Jesus Christ, to keep their focus there. So he's continually praying this for them and every opportunity that he has. That means that what he's praying for in this prayer, he believes to be of utmost importance for the Colossians. And so as we go through the rest of this text, I want to ask, do you pray this way for one another? Do we pray this way for ourselves? Do we ask for prayer for ourselves in this way? This is Paul's prayer here for the Colossians. The subject of the entire prayer is right there, that they would know and live the will of God. That's the subject of the prayer. He says, verse 9, For this reason, since the day we've heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. That's what the whole prayer is about. In fact, it could be argued that's what the whole book of Colossians is about right there. That they would know who God is, know the will of God, and know what Jesus has done for them. Paul wants them to know something. We're so focused today on feeling something, experiencing something. And please hear me, feelings, experiences, good, can be good. But the Bible always starts with knowing something. We have to know something before we can feel or experience something. Because how do we know if what we're feeling or experiencing is truly God or something we've just made up in the place of God? If we don't know, we have to have truth to compare our experience to. But how? How can we know God? Well, he says, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Paul is talking about not just something natural, innate to us as human beings that we're just going to make up or pick up in our life or pick up from our culture. It is a spiritual understanding. I want to be careful here. Some people take this to mean that we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to reveal things to us that we don't understand, open our eyes in a way that we can never do on our own. We're saved, but we need to pray for more understanding from the Spirit. That is not what Paul is saying. Because Paul's emphasis in the entirety of this letter is to emphasize they have everything they need in Jesus Christ. If he was here saying, you have Christ, you've been saved, but now you need something different, that would undercut everything he's saying in this letter. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is there are two different types of knowledge and understanding in this world. Our world understands logic and reason and human understanding, human wisdom. Our world gets that. We make up our own ideas. They change constantly. Culture shifts from one thing that makes sense to another. That's the world's way of understanding. He says, but there's another understanding that the world will never get on its own. It is a spiritual understanding that is different from the ways of the world. It's not this additional 
secret thing that we need to dig into and figure out secret codes to as Christians. It's the evidence and the application of who we are in Jesus Christ. Let me give you some examples. Colossians 2, 2 through 4, he says about the Colossians, my goal is that they, he's talking about Colossae and Laodicea, those who have not met Paul personally, they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. People were coming in and saying, Christ, that's great. All these things that you've learned, the gospel, that's great. But let me tell you something deeper. And they were running after it. Paul says, no, you have everything in Christ. Colossians 2.8, see that to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. He's saying, here's your option. Do you want to trust Christ or do you want to be deceived by the ideas of this world? And and listen to me, the ideas of the Greek and Roman world back in Paul's day, some of them were similar, some were different. The world's great at coming up with all new ideas, very contemporary, be on the right side of history, here's what you got to believe, live in the world today and Christ comes along. And the gospel comes along and says, focus on Jesus. Don't run after those things. Don't get sucked into them. There's no happiness there. There's no hope there. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness. You want to understand just how different the ways of the world and the wisdom of the world is from Jesus Christ? It's as different as foolishness and wisdom. Don't get sucked into it. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. We have the true wisdom of the Lord God Most High who created heaven and earth, given to us in his word, displayed for us through the salvation we have through Jesus Christ. We have that. Why would we run after anything else? But friends, so many Christians are. Well, maybe if we just give in in this way, maybe if we just change this one thing, maybe we doubt this thing, maybe it doesn't really mean that anymore. And we're looking at the foolishness of the world and saying, maybe there's some wisdom there. And there's not. The Colossians are being tempted to look to their own world for knowledge and understanding. But the world is living in amnesia. They've forgotten They've forgotten who they are and where they came from, and they need true knowledge, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that there is a God who sent his son to save them. They need to remember who they are, and so do we. We're supposed to know what God's will really is, that there is a God who created all things, that He has given us what he wants, that he has a plan for us. Paul's reminding them of these things and wants them to focus on it. That's what they're getting distracted from. Look at verses 10 through 12. He says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. That is where their focus is. 
Not how do I get accepted by other people? How can I make my business profitable? How do I get by in this world? How do I live and please the Lord God most high? Now we need to be careful here. Paul is not saying live in such a way that you're good enough for God to accept you. That's not what he's saying. I want to be very clear. What he's saying is, God has accepted you in Jesus Christ. Live like it. There's a way that we can come to God and say, I'm going to fix myself up. I'm going to clean myself up. And then God will accept me. That doesn't work. The gap is too big. Our efforts are too small. We need Jesus to save us. There's another way of looking at obedience saying, I've been set free from sin. I've been brought back from the dead. I want to live that out in my life. Our obedience comes from what Jesus has already done for us. Jesus died on the cross to save them from their sins. That's their watershed, the thing that changes everything. And that's what he wants them to focus on. And Paul uses four phrases to explain this. And each one helps us to understand what does it mean to live in the world today, living out the will of God. In verse 10, he says, bearing fruit in every good work. At the end of verse 10, growing in the knowledge of God. At verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And then at the beginning of verse 12, giving thanks for what God has done. This whole prayer in Greek, by the way, is one long sentence. One sentence. Paul's just running through it. It's like all this is just pouring out of him because he's so excited to pray this on behalf of them. But he starts verse 10 with the first phrase, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, please him in every way. And now he's explaining that, bearing fruit in every good work. Now, if you know a little bit of your Bible, that might bring some things to mind. Paul writes in elsewhere about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I think I got them all. I always forget one, faithfulness. Okay, and, and yes, that's what he's talking about here. But I think it's more. And I actually think in the fruit of the Spirit, he's talking about something more as well. See, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God gives Adam and Eve the very first command he ever gives. He creates them and he says, be what? Fruitful. Be fruitful and multiply. Now, now yes, he's talking about having babies filling the earth. Yes, that's part of it. But I think it's more than that. It's God has created them. He has put them in this area of creation that he's given them. And he's saying, take that Do something with it for God's glory. Be fruitful. So Paul is here. Paul is reminding them of what God has said in Genesis 1.28. Bearing fruit is the recognition that God is the creator and author and source of life. And we have a purpose to live for him. That's what it means to bear fruit for God. So in his prayer here for the Colossians, Paul wants them to remember the reason for which they were created. Why chase after anything else if this is literally the point for which you exist? We are created to bear fruit for God in every good work. The the Greek word there is literally to walk this way. Step here, bearing fruit. Step here, bearing fruit. Walk in that direction and keep on going. He goes on at the end of verse 10, growing in the knowledge of God. One of the things I've witnessed throughout my 
20-something years of ministry now, and it, it almost seems like it's building, is that there is an anti-knowledge sentiment among Christians. As if somehow knowledge of God and knowledge of the word is to be reserved for people in ivory towers named theologians with a big plaque on their desk or on the wall, or for pastors to be locked up in their study with a knowledge of God. Paul will have none of that. He says every Christian is to go deeper in their knowledge of who God is. Paul wants us to focus on knowing God more. Look back at verse 5. Paul says they have heard and believed the true message of the gospel. They heard something, truth. They've known that, that truth. And now he says, go deeper in your understanding of what that is. It's a true message that must be known, not just felt, not just experienced, known, contemplated, thought about, chewed on, meditated on, reflected on, learned more of, discussed with other believers. If we look back at Colossians 1.6, he also talks about what the true message of the gospel was doing in their midst. And what does he say? It is bearing fruit. So, so do you understand what he's saying? He's calling them to go deeper in their relationship with God and to bear fruit. And he's already said, that's exactly what the gospel has done for you. He's telling them to live out what the gospel is doing in them. At the beginning of verse 11, he says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And he further explains this one so that you may have great endurance and patience. They're getting distracted. They love Jesus. They've accepted Jesus. But now they're running after other things. And he says that they need to have endurance and patience to focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be strengthened by it. They need to spend time knowing who they are in Christ so they can stand up against the distractions of this world. Sometimes the distractions of this world are, are enticements that pull us away. Sometimes they're opposition to what we believe in Jesus Christ. But either way, we need to stand firm and remember the truth of the gospel to have great endurance and patience. Paul gives one more way to live a life worthy of the Lord. In verse 12, he says, giving joyful thanks to the Father. Friends, being Joyful in thanks to God is part of what it means to live for God. Being thankful is part of how we remember who we are in God. Thankfulness is a reminder of what we have in Jesus Christ. And frankly, a lack of thankfulness is a sign that we are distracted and forgetful about who Christ is and what he's done. Now, now, please hear me. I'm not saying, oh, I'm going through horrible times. Oh, woe is me. But it's okay. I'm happy in Jesus. It's not what I'm saying. And we hear that in the Psalms, right? I'm going through a horrible time. And this is awful. And God, please help me. But I do know this. You've not abandoned me. And as a Christian, we get to hold on to that. I have a Savior who died in my place and rose from the dead, and I will never let go of that truth. And if nothing else, I can be thankful for that in this moment. Knowing and living God's will comes from remembering who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Bearing fruit, living it out in our lives, growing in the knowledge of God and what he's done, being strengthened by this and being thankful. 
The fastest and easiest way to forget something is to fail to put effort into remembering it. To just think, oh, I'll remember it. We need to put effort into it. Paul is saying, I know what Christ has done for you. You know, but you need to focus on it. You need to remember it. Paul started his prayer by saying they need to know God. And he concludes it by saying they need to know what God has done for them. Look at 12 through 14. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. There's a direct connection between knowing God, knowing what God has done for us, and our thankfulness and our ability to live that out in our life. So what has God done for us? It says you, God has qualified us through Jesus to share in the inheritance of his holy people. He's qualified. I think the King James has, he's made us meet. He's made us worthy. Just think about that for a second. God looks at us and because of what Christ has done for us through the cross, he says, you are worthy to be my child. That is eternity-changing truth that the world cannot possibly hope to have a substitute for. This is the very thing they were forgetting, and it's the very thing we're still tempted to forget today. Our living our life worthy, from verse 10, is simply living out the worthiness that God has put in us through Jesus Christ. He saved them to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. This language of inheritance is so important. It ties us into the depths of the Old Testament. God promised Abraham an inheritance. God redeemed, purchased, saved the Israelites out of Egypt, saving them through the Red Sea. God promised David a kingdom. All of this ties into the eternal plan of God. So in his prayer for the Colossians, Paul's reminding them and us of everything God's done throughout history. And he's saying, remember, remember. And he's pointing at the end of 13 that all of this is through Jesus, the son that God loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus has paid the price for our sin to purchase us out of slavery to sin, purchase us and buy us back from the death that we were living in in our sin. He has given us new life. We stand forgiven before God because of Jesus Christ. And Paul's telling these Christians, if anybody shouldn't forget this, it's Christians. But Paul knows, and we still need to know today, we forget. And he's saying, remember, know this. Christians, we must intentionally remember what God has done for us. I think there's kind of three forms of remembering or forgetting. I want you to imagine for a second that my wife gives me her phone to hold. i got a phone in here. We'll do visual aids. There we go. This is my phone, but pretend it's hers. It doesn't matter. She gives me her phone. Let's say she's cooking in the kitchen or something. She has it out. She doesn't want to lose it. She gives it to me. Dave, hold on to this. I'm going to need it in a moment. Please hold on to my phone. Now, one way I could do this is I could say, who do you think I am? I'm just a phone holder. I mean, come on. 
I'm more important than that. Hold your own phone. I walk over to the trash and I throw it in the garbage and I walk away. It's hypothetical, just to be clear. <laughs> a couple minutes later, she asked me, where's my phone? I don't know. Who cares? I haven't remembered. I've chosen to forget. I've actively taken steps to just erase that from my mind because I just don't care. This is one way that we can forget. We can forget by rejecting. I don't care. It's not me. I found something better. I'm leaving that behind. It's a purposeful forgetting. There's a second way to forget. Imagine my wife gives me her phone and she says, hold on to this. And I say, yeah, great. And then I'm maybe doing something in the kitchen, helping out, doing my own thing. I don't know what. And it just like, I, I need to grab something. And so I put the phone down on the counter with the kids' school books and, and with other stuff that we have in our house. And, and, and I go on and I do other things. And she looks to me and says, Dave, where's my phone? And I go, I don't remember. I, but it's not my fault. I tried. I really wanted to try to remember. But I just, I don't know where it is. And the next two hours are spent trying to find the phone. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't mean. I didn't mean to forget. But I didn't try to hold on to it. Now imagine another scenario. She asked me to hold my phone. And I hold on to it. And I'm doing other things. And as I'm doing it, I keep it in my hand. And I said, I need to do this. But, but I'm holding my phone for my wife, her phone. And she needs it back. And no matter what I do, I make sure I can do it with one hand or I put it in my pocket. And I think, there it is. It's right there. I'm holding on to it. And when she asks for it back, I say, here it is. I held on to it for you. You can have it back. Do you see the difference? See, we look at the first one and go, oh, what a horrible husband. We look at the second one and go, oh, I've been there, done that. I totally understand. We've all done it. But they're both forgetting. Both of them had the same outcome. Christians, we look at those that reject their faith and go, oh, that's so awful. That's horrible. How can they do that? But how many Christians are failing day in and day out to remember what Christ has done for us? We need to be that person that grabs the gospel and holds on to it. Come what may, every moment of our lives, I'm holding on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will not let go of it and I will not forget it. I am holding on to the gospel in everything. We need to make that a priority in our lives and put effort into remembering. That's what Paul is praying about for the Colossians. And that's what we need today. We need to be people who diligently remember, purposefully, intentionally remember what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Clive Waring, he forgot who he was. He was stuck in an ever-present now trying to find meaning and purpose, trying to figure out who he was, trying constantly to just grab onto something to get him through, and the next moment trying something else, and the next moment something else, because none of it's stuck. Our world is on the same hamster wheel, chasing meaning and purpose, forgetting everything that came before it, forgetting moment by moment, trying to build something new, rejecting what they held so strongly just years ago and substituting it for something else and thinking this time will be different. And too many Christians are going, 
maybe that might work for me. We need Jesus Christ. We are called to be different. We are called to be people that remember the gospel. And come what may, hold on to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our happiness, our joy, our hope will never be found in the changing ideas of this world. They will never be found in giving in on some things just to keep the peace. And it will never be found in using the world's methods to fight politics or culture or whatever else. It's still being defined by the ways of this world. The rest of Colossians is going to explain and expound on what Paul says in this prayer. Everything that he wants them to remember, to know here, he's going to go deeper in. Next, he's going to talk about the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, in what is possibly one of the greatest passages about the deity of Christ in all of the New Testament. And that's where we're going to sit and dwell in for next week. He's going to go on to talk about their only hope and salvation in Jesus Christ and warning them to continue. He's going to talk about how to apply this and live this out in their life. But for now, we must start with remembering. Christian, are you remembering who Christ is? Are you purposefully, actively working on remembering who Christ is and what he's done for you? Let's remind ourselves. Let's remind each other and let's pray for that reminder and that knowledge in each other's lives. And if you're here and as I've been talking, you're thinking, I'm on that hamster wheel. I'm trying to find that hope and that meaning and that purpose. Jesus Christ is the reason you exist. And you will never know true joy until you find him. You will never know a hope that nothing else can take away from you until you trust in who Jesus is as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we be people who remember. God, we easily forget just like the Colossians did. And I don't say that to beat us up. I I don't say that to condemn us. I say that to identify that we're just like them. And just like them, there's hope and mercy and grace. Just like them, we can be called back. Paul would not have written this letter if that wasn't the case. But Father, we need to hear the message. To keep our eyes on Jesus. To never allow ourselves to be pulled off of focusing on him. And yes, even while we're doing other things, but still to hold on to that truth of who we are in Jesus Christ. To go deeper in our knowledge and understanding of that truth through the reading of your word, through gathering with other believers and discussing and praying and talking about it, through actively working this out in our lives, living moment by moment, putting into practice what you've told us about yourself. Father, may we be people that hold on to this truth and hold out this truth through our lives so that others can come to know Jesus, that he could be their watershed too and change everything about their lives. May we live that truth out in our lives, no matter what this world does. In your holy name we pray. Amen.